does anyone here still throw dinner parties? Anybody like having dinner parties? Um, I'm not really sure that that's much of a thing anymore because it is way easier to go out to the restaurant, right, and let somebody else cook and clean. Um, and when you go to the, to the restaurant, there's not that awkward moment when you want to go to bed, but your guests haven't left yet. Um, a, a friend of mine is known for having parties and then coming out of his bedroom in his pajamas and going, hey, glad you guys were here. I'm going to bed. And he will just take off and go to bed. Um, his wife stays there. I've never done that, but he is my spirit animal. Um, it's incredible. As a result, Tina and I don't throw a lot of parties um, because if you throw a party, that means that your house has to be spotless, right? We clean it like the president is coming. And it's there. Isn't it funny that we try to impress our friends who already know, like, especially if you've got kids that are our age, that they already know your house is a mess. They already know you got Cheerios underneath things that you're just trying to figure out how you got Cheerios. But yet, we still go out of our way to make sure that it's spotless. Why? Because we want to impress people. We want people to think that we've got it all together. Now, even though we don't like to throw a lot of house parties, when we do, they are huge, right? I I like a full house of people. The more people, the merrier. Now, I want you to imagine that you're throwing a big and important dinner party, right? The guest of honor is the president of your company. There's a lot riding on it, and you're hoping for a promotion. You're hoping to make a good impression, right? That the house is spotless. You have cleaned for days and weeks. You have scrubbed things that have never been scrubbed before. You have kicked your kids out of the house. You have sent them to grandma's house, and you have sent the dog to doggy daycare. And the table is beautiful. It's the first time since you've been married that you use the china that you got as a wedding gift. Anybody have china that they don't use? See? And you've got cloth napkins that are fancy instead of the paper ones that we use every day. You've got flowers as the centerpiece. And so you hire the best chef in town to prepare a five-course meal. From the first bite all the way to the last, which is going to be some kind of chocolate, you have planned every single detail. You did research on on the company president, and you found out that he was from Texas. And so being from Texas, you found out that his favorite drink was a diet Dr. Pepper. And so because of that, you have bought diet Dr. Peppers for everybody, and everybody is going to pretend like they like diet Dr. Peppers. And if they don't, you're going to look at them like you do your kids and go, you will drink this and you will like it. And so you invited people who would make a good impression, people who, who wouldn't be duds. You wanted the best of the best at your party. And so your most important friends have RSVP'd. Now, the plan is together. 
Everyone else is arriving at 6.15, a full 45 minutes before your guest of honor. That way he can make a grand entrance, right, and be properly introduced to all of your guests. When you get home from work, you go upstairs and, and you change into your best suit or your best dress. And when you come down at 6.10, the house is filled with the smell of wonderful food. And at 6.15, you stand by the door waiting for your guests to arrive. But you see, there's a problem. No one's there. At 6.20, still no one. And at 6.30, you start to get a little bit nervous. Where are all your friends? How are you going to impress the president with an empty house in an empty table? And so what do you do? You pick up your phone and you begin calling all your friends. Maybe there's a big traffic jam or a wreck. Nope, everyone that you've invited just has an excuse. Your friend says, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to be able to be there. I've got to test drive the new truck that I just purchased. The next friend says, man, I hate to let you down, but I've got to go look at a new house that I've already bought. Your third friend says, you know, I just got married three weeks ago. You know how it is. New wife, new life, right? I can't come, man. We're just not going to make it. You make call after call, but everything is more of the same. It's more excuses for why they're not coming. You're absolutely furious, You're 30 minutes away from this grand banquet, and nobody's there. Not one person on your list has shown up. So what do you do? You kind of throw a fit, right? And then you go, you know what? Throwing a fit's not going to do anything. And so you call out to your spouse and go, honey, we've got to do something quick. Right, And so what you do is you call your teenage son down from upstairs and you say, hey, I need you to go out and and I need you to find some people. There's got to be people at this table tonight. Go down the street and ask all of our neighbors, strangers, even homeless people, I don't care. Invite anyone that you see. Tell them there's going to be a great meal and all they have to do is pretend that they know me. And do it fast. And your son comes back five minutes later and says, sorry, Dad, I was only able to find two people. You've still got ten empty chairs and just two people. And in desperation and anger and frustration, you tell your son, listen to me. Whatever it takes, get people here. You've got 25 minutes to fill this room. Give them $100 if that's what it takes to get them here. Pay people. If they still won't come, make them come. Right? If that doesn't work, you're a big boy. Just drag them here. We can't have one empty seat. I need you to fill these seats before my guest arrives. Can you picture it? That's this modern day version of a parable told by Jesus in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. 
At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. In other words, dinner is served, the food has been prepared, the table is set, everything is ready. I've gone through a lot of work to get this done. I've planned for this moment, and I've done a lot of preparation. Now, this right here is that critical moment. Is anyone actually going to show up? Man, I know exactly how that guy feels. I'll never forget the first year that we were here, and we were preparing for the egg hunt. And we had already stuffed 10,000 Easter eggs. We had bounce houses. We had petting zoos. We had carnival rides. And, and that entire week before, if you remember, it rained. And about Wednesday, I asked some of our, our team, I said, what happens if it rains? What do we do? And their response was, I don't know. It's never rained before. We better pray. You see, there was no plan B, no backup plan. And luckily, starting about Wednesday evening, it quit raining, and it didn't rain any more of the week. And so what did we do? Now we, a group of us came together, and we began to get everything ready, including mowing that entire back pasture, because we wanted to make sure that everything was ready when our guest came onto our campus. That entire time... I was a nervous wreck. I go back to Saturday morning, and I see Jenny already laughing. I remember asking Chet and Jenny, what if nobody comes? Like, we've done all of this. Like, what if nobody comes? And they're like, dude, you need to chill out. Everybody's going to be here. It's going to be huge. Don't worry about it. You know, that's easy for, for them to think and easy for them to say. Man, I was nervous. Not only was I nervous on the inside, I was nervous on the outside. Why? Because after all the hard work, all the preparation, would anybody actually come? And you know what they did. You see, that's also how you feel when you invite someone to come to church with you. They agree to come, and you stand by the door looking for them with sweaty hands and wondering if they're really going to show up. Listen, I know I've been there. It's an anxious moment, but they all, like, began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Now, the people that were listening to this story knew that that was a lame excuse, Remember, this was the days before the internet or real estate magazines. The purchase of a property was a very serious matter. And in their culture, no one would dare buy land without seeing it first. No Middle Easterner has ever bought land without inspecting every tree, every bush, and every well that is on the property and making sure that everything was included on the contract. This guy didn't have to go see a fill. He just didn't want to come to the banquet. Yet another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Again, what a terrible excuse. See, he bought five yoke of oxen, which is ten oxen, and that indicates that he had great wealth. It would be very unusual for a man with that much money to try and take the oxen out for himself. He, his servants would have taken care of that. And no one would buy one ox, 
little lone tin oxen without handling the reins and testing their ability to pull together. Everyone knows that you test drive before you buy. And still another said, I just got married so I can't come. This guy used a scriptural reason to justify his excuse. The Old Testament law said in Deuteronomy 24, 5, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife that he has married. And so for a whole year after being married, a man was relieved of his duties and responsibilities so that he could focus on a happy home and a happy wife. But you see, this wasn't a duty. It was a party. It was a feast. The guy just found a convenient excuse to stay home. So why didn't the people want to come to the banquet? See, the Bible doesn't tell us, but people haven't changed all that much. We can guess that they were too busy. I've got things to do. I've scheduled myself full. I don't have time to come to your banquet. I know you've prepared it. It's important. I know that I should be there, but I'm just too busy. Sounds like us, doesn't it? We're too busy for a lot of things that really matter. The statistics are interesting. See, only 6% of churches in America are growing, and in spite of that, 40% of Americans categorize themselves as regular church attendees. But less than 20%, about 17.7% show up at church on any given week. And only about 25% show up at least three out of eight Sundays, less than 50% of the time. The average church attendee now comes less than half of the time. Just a few years ago, that was around two-thirds of the time. And instead of missing 17 weeks a year, the average church attendee now misses over 26 weeks a year. So how are we doing on that? Sadly, it holds true for many churches, including our own. See, the second reason that people stayed away was because they had other priorities. I mean, come on, I went to a banquet last week. I mean, really, how many banquets do I have to go to? Right? I would rather sleep, play golf, or hang out with my friends. I've got a lot of work to do. I work a lot of hours, and I've got to rest sometime. I've got a lot of homework to do. It's my cousin's birthday, and we're having a party. I've got to check out some land and test drive some oxen. I've got my kids select baseball team and and we play every weekend. See, the people in Jesus' story had a lot of excuses. But it simply came down to this. They had other priorities. Something mattered more than attending the banquet. How do I know that? Because if attending the banquet was important to them, then they would have been there. You see, it's easy to determine someone else's priorities. Just watch what they do. Watch where they spend their time and watch where they spend their money. See, no matter what you say, those things that you spend your money on and you spend your time on, that's your priorities. 
You see, maybe you would see yourself in these reluctant guests. Do you really want to serve God if it, if it means that he has absolute lordship of your life? How much do you want him? Why are you so quick to make excuses when he wants to change something in you? Do you want a relationship with God on his terms or on yours? See, the, the guy throwing the banquet had a problem. The food was ready. The table was set. But as he looked down that long row of tables, he saw empty seats. See, as a pastor, I have a love-hate relationship with empty seats. Every empty seat represents a missed opportunity. See, there could have been somebody in that seat. But at the same time, every empty seat is an opportunity. See, church is different than than football or, or a basketball game. Right? The goal of a sports team is to fill every single seat and to turn people away. The goal is to have a waiting list, right? More people than what you've got seats for. But can I tell you, in church, it's terrible to turn people away because there's no room. You see, we have to have empty seats so that you've got a place to bring your friend, your, your family member, your coworker. Right? You've been sharing about Jesus with them for weeks, months, and sometimes years. Wouldn't it be heartbreaking if one day they decided to finally show up and there wasn't room? Not even one empty seat? Now, listen to me. The communicator in me wants every single seat in this auditorium full. You want to know why? Because the more people that are in a room, the more responsive they are. It is fun to preach to a packed house. You see, as a communicator, I see every single empty seat as a missed opportunity where someone could have been sitting there. But you see, the soul winner in me wants to make sure that there's always empty seats. Right? Because every empty seat is another place to put someone who needs Jesus. That seat is a spot for someone who needs to experience life-changing power of Jesus. Now, it's funny because churches is an interesting place. Right? At a ball game, the best seats are where? On the front row. They're premium. People pay tons of dollars to sit as close to the action as they can be. But at church, at our church, that's simply not the case. I have never walked in on a Sunday and saw the front row filled. Have you? Have you ever walked into any church and saw the front row filled? If you have, it was probably staff members that were made to sit on the front row. Why?
See, one of our challenges as we continue to grow is that we take up the back seats first. As new people coming in, they don't want to walk past an entire church to sit on the front two or three rows. Oh, pastor, it doesn't matter. Really? Do you remember the first time you walked in a church? If the only seats they had open were in the front, would you have walked all the way down? By the way, do newcomers ever show up on time? Rarely. Right? And so if service has already started, they definitely don't want to come walking in the front. Right? Some of you don't even want to walk to the front and you sit all the way in the back. Listen, it's not just about you sitting up front. It's about having the right seats empty for your guest and for people that are call this place home. So would you mind doing me a favor? Would you sit up front? Now, look, I know some of you have, have young kids, and you sit in the back so that you can get away real quick and go to the nursery if you need, but, but would you mind scooting up? Here's what I can promise you to do. Number one, you'll be way more engaged in worship and more engaged in the message. Why? Because sitting in the back, it's easy to disengage. Oh, I don't really like this worship song. Let me hold my phone down here and see what's on Facebook. Right? Y'all never do that. Pastor, what's the big deal? It's just seats. Listen, if we're not willing to give up our seats so that someone can hear about Jesus, then what are we really doing? Listen, one of our core values is every soul matters to God. And sometimes when I see empty seats... It makes me wonder if we really believe that. Does every soul matter enough to sit in a different spot? Does every soul matter enough to park in an inconvenient place? By the way, if you think the music is too loud up front, um, that's just simply not the case. The quietest seats in the entire church are right here in the section of the front rows. We've tested it. If you're like, I can't do it, it's too loud. No, it's not. This is the best place, and you're going to have the best seats in the house. Now, in business terms, empty seats are a question of capacity. Do we have enough room to add more people? You see, the guy in Jesus' story had a lot of empty seats. He had a room full of opportunities. I look around this auditorium this morning and I see a lot of empty seats. And I see a room full of opportunities. The servant came back and reported to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame, you see, his first response was to fill the empty seats with people that nobody cared about. And in those days, the, the crippled, the blind, the lame were, were seen as useless annoyances. The master said, invite the people that others think are worthless. 
Invite the people that no one else wants. Whatever you do, please fill up these seats. Take advantage of every single opportunity. You see, Jesus would look around this sanctuary this morning and he would say, those empty seats, that empty seat, that empty seat is an opportunity for you to bring someone to hear the timeless message of my love and my grace. Don't let the seat stay empty. See, the empty seat is a, is a great opportunity. Put someone there. So what does Jesus say about empty seats? Fill them. Fill the seats. Don't worry about what type of person is in the chair. Don't worry if people see them as worthless. Just fill the seats for anyone that will come. Listen, everyone is welcome at MFA. There is a seat at God's table for anyone and everyone. If you're a drug addict or an alcoholic, there is a seat here for you. The poor, the homeless, the person who is afraid that they don't have the right clothes, we've got a seat for them. If you're trapped in sin, whatever the sin, there's a seat for you. If you've got a past and you're worried that we could never accept that and God could never love you, there is a seat for you. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, there's a seat for you. No matter your background, no matter the sins or the mistakes of your past, whatever your religious background, Baptist, Pentecostal, Pentecostal, Lutheran, Methodist, Church of Christ, Catholic, Mormon, Methodist, Jehovah's Witness, or if you've got no church background at all, come because there is a seat for you. The rich, the poor, the young, the old, Republican, Democrat, Independent, or Green Party. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, wherever you're from, whatever race you happen to be, whatever your immigration status is, there is a place for you at Mejia First Assembly. See, there is no room for prejudice in God's church. Everyone can have a seat at the table. Why? Because every soul matters to God. I can see it in their eyes Empty people filled with care Headed who knows where On they go through private
If we know that people need the Lord, if every soul matters to God, then every soul has to matter to us. If there's an empty seat, put someone there. Take advantage of every opportunity. You say, well, Pastor Jason, you don't know my friends. They're rough. I'm sure they're not going to be welcomed here. Listen, bring them. If someone is rude to your friends, then we'll ask that person to leave and open up that seat for another one of your friends. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I like the way the King James Version says it. He says, compel them to come in. 
The people invited to the banquet didn't come. There were lots of empty seats. And then the next wave, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the unwanted of society came. But there were still empty seats. And so the host said, go out and invite perfect strangers. Do whatever it takes to convince them to come in. If you have to give them a gift, then give them a gift. If you have to do free food, if you have to do giveaways, if you have to have free coffee at the back of the auditorium, I don't care. Do whatever it takes. Tell them to come in. You see, every one of these empty seats represents a missed opportunity. I've prepared the meal. The food is ready. Let's fill those seats. Now let's look at the end of the story. The master said, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. In other words, I can't focus on people who didn't come. It's their loss. They're missing it. They're not going to get a single bite of food. But there's food ready, and there are empty seats. Go and find someone for every single seat. Let's put all of our effort into taking care of the people who are here. See, the host in the story instructed his servants to compel people to come in wherever we could find them. Do you know what? This parable is a, is a perfect picture of church. We have prepared a table. And a dozen or so people have spent hundreds of hours preparing each week for the most important 75 minutes of our lives. See, the table is set. The food is ready. The banquet is amazing. Listen, we know that people need to experience God's love and grace. And we've invited people, and some of them come, and some of them don't. We are reaching out to those that society has forgotten. But there's still empty seats. Now, do you know what time time it is? Jesus said, if there are still empty seats, go out wherever people can be found and compel them to come in. Now, do we force people to come to church? Yes. No, we don't do that. Listen, that's not what Jesus was saying. Instead, the tone is more like this. Do whatever it takes. Go wherever you have to go. Don't let anything stop you don't let those empty seats be a missed opportunity instead fill them up listen if you've got to go pick them up in the van then come get the keys and take the van go get them we've got to fill seats if you've got to call and wake them up on sunday morning for them to make it then wake them up right fill that seat if you have to offer to buy them lunch then buy them lunch Fill the seat. Listen, here's the plan. You you take advantage of the opportunity. You fill the seats and I will do my part. I'll make sure that there are always empty seats so that you can keep filling them. Listen, currently we have a lot of empty seats on Sunday. You know what happens when you fill those up? We'll add another service. We'll do like we do for Easter. But Pastor Jason, isn't it too much for a church our size to do two services? Not according to Jesus. 
Man, I understand it would be way easier on me and our team to just do one service. But man, aren't you glad when you came there was a seat for you? So Pastor Jason, what are you doing? Are you announcing that we're going to two services next week? No. I'm just telling you that when you fill the seats in here, we'll do that to make more room for your friends and your family. Because I never want to miss an opportunity for someone that comes to our church and can't find a seat. See, empty seats, every single one is a missed opportunity. But every single one is also an opportunity. Do you know what else this is a picture of? Jesus told this story depicting the kingdom of God, heaven. The story points to the preparation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a great celebration in heaven. And God has prepared a place for you and for me, for anyone who has asked forgiveness and accepts Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as payment for their sins. Everyone is invited to the table. God's love is available to all. His forgiveness extends to everyone, regardless of your past. He invites you to come to the table to have a relationship with him. Now, some will make excuses. Many will wait until it's too late. For some of you, you've taken the advantage of the empty seat. For some of you, you've filled a seat, but there's still more. You see, now it's time to invite people to the banquet. Over the next few weeks, you're going to begin to see us put out some videos to, to be able to share on social media for you to invite your friends. Listen, when you see those, when you see our post, share them. That's the reason we've got a Facebook page. It's the reason that we've got Instagram. So that you can share those things and invite your friends to come. Now listen, just sharing a post isn't taking it far enough. You should start there. But you should also invite your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your kids' friends, parents. Wear your every soul matters to God's shirt. There in your bulletin, I've given you three of our new invite cards. And they're small this time. Instead, of So men, that means you can throw one in your wallet. Ladies, you can throw one in a purse. I'd suggest, though, that you put it in one of the pouches on the side so you can find it later. But carry these with you. When you come up to somebody, and maybe God lays it on your heart, maybe you don't know, and, and you just feel God tugging at your heart that says, hey, you know what, invite them to church. You can go, you know what, man, I'd love for you to come to our church. Our church is awesome. Isn't our church awesome? That's a dangerous question for a pastor to ask, right? But it is. Man, we've got amazing kids' ministry. We've got adults that love kids and show up each and every week to make sure that they hear about Jesus on an appropriate age level. 
Not all churches do that. I've said it for several years. I think our church is the best kept secret in Mejia. What would happen if we were no longer a secret? What would happen if you started inviting people to come and we began to fill the seats? Pastor, is this about feeding your ego so that you can say we've got two, three hundred people coming? No. You see, as a pastor, I don't get my identity by how many people are in the room. But here's what I do know. Is if we've got a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, maybe even five hundred. It's more opportunities for people who don't know Jesus to hear about him. Because the message we preach each and every weekend will change people's lives. So I'm going to challenge you. Take those cards. Everybody should have three cards in there. They're very slippery, so it might have came out of your bulletin. Make sure you got three. And I want you to use them this week. I'm calling it the three-person challenge. I want you to invite three people to come to church with you this next Sunday. Now, if everybody in here brought three people with them, do you realize we'd be three times the size we are now? That's quick math. Wouldn't it be awesome to see the place full? You want to know why I'm not asking you to bring 10? Because you'd never do it. You go, all right, pastor, we're on board. Let's do it. And then you'll take them, you'll put them in your truck or your car or your purse, and you won't think about it again. But I know three people that don't go to church. Don't you? So this week, I want you to invite them. Why? Because it's an opportunity for them to hear. Maybe for some of you in the room, you missed the opportunity. Maybe some of you in here, it's, you're kind of new to church. Or maybe it's the first time you've been back in a while. And you felt like you couldn't come in. Listen, there will always be a place at the table for you. Man, it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't even matter the secret sin that you've got in your life. Because you know what we're going to do? We're going to accept you as you are. It doesn't matter what's going on in your family. It doesn't matter what's going on with your spouse. Listen, you could have a blowout, drag down fight in the car on the way to church, and we still want you to come to church. You're worried about what other people will think. Can I just tell you what other people think? Other people think you're jacked up just like they are. I don't know about you, but I don't have it all together. Remember last week, remember I told you that sometimes I lost my temper? 
And you know what? Last week, right after Sunday, I lost my temper. Yesterday at the festival, I got frustrated and said something in anger. I didn't cuss. I didn't do anything crazy like that. But my son Josiah was there. And he came up and he said, hey, Dad, what's wrong? And you know what I said? I said, buddy, nothing's wrong. Daddy's just tired and frustrated. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, come on, Pastor. Everybody loses their cool and, and gets mad and says angry things. Yeah, you're right. But Jesus didn't. And I'm trying to be more like him. Don't let your life keep you from here because here's the truth of it. Sometimes because of your life, you need more of Jesus. Listen, you need Jesus to go to heaven, but man, you need Jesus to go to Walmart. Would you stand with me? I want to pray with you today. Today, maybe you'd say, Pastor, man, I've never accepted God's invitation to come to the table. I've never placed my, my faith, my trust in him. But today, today I want to follow Jesus. Or maybe you, you, you've done that at one point, but maybe you walked away, life happened, and, and you moved away from, from Jesus and And today you'd say, you know what, Pastor, pray for me. I want to come back to Jesus. I want to rededicate my life for him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I see your hand there. Thank you. Pastor, what are people going to think if they see me raise my hand? They're going to think you need Jesus because that's what we just said. Listen, don't miss an opportunity to make your life right with God. One more chance before I pray. Anybody today that would just say, Pastor, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that you have prepared a place for us. God, we thank you that... that that you provided the way so that we could be with you. So God, today we pray over those who have raised their hand, God, that have either walked away from you, God, those who are making a first-time commitment, God, or even those who just have a ton of junk going on in their lives and, and just need your touch in your hand. God, we pray over them this morning. God, we pray that lives would be changed because of your touch. God, because they focus on their relationship with you. God, it begins to solve life's issues. Lord, we know you didn't promise a perfect or, or, or even you didn't promise us a life without troubles. But God, with you, those troubles, those heartaches, those problems become bearable because we walk with you. God, help us this week
to invite people to come to the banquet. God, to invite people to come to church. God, help us fill these seats with people that nobody else wants. God, we know that there are 70-ish churches within 10 miles of Mahia. God, give us the ones that nobody else wants. God, give us the ones with messy lives. God, give us the ones that smell different, that look different, that act different. God, because we know that every soul matters to you. And if every soul matters to you, then every soul has to matter to me. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.